As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right, over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. of New South Wales are on high alert with fears COVID-19 may have spread to regional areas now. The state recorded four new locally acquired cases yesterday. Two are linked to the BWS Barala cluster, which has now reached 15. One attended Woolworths Barala and is likely linked to the same cluster. The fourth is a close contact of a case linked to the Croydon cluster, which now numbers 10. There are new exposure sites in regional New South Wales, in Broken Hill, Gourmet Crib Tin and Shell, in Orange, Birdie Noshery and Drinking, and in Ningen, the Riverside Tourist Park and BP. There's extra testing capacity at the Broken Hill Community Centre, Orange Showground, and the Ningen Big Bogan statue. Victoria has three new locally acquired cases, all linked to the Black Rock Restaurant Cluster. There are now 38 active cases. New exposure sites have been listed in Victoria, including the Mernda train line in Southern Cross on December 28, and the Sikh Temple Keysborough on January 1st. Anyone at that temple must get tested and isolate immediately. Three more cases of the UK's mutant COVID strain have been found in Australia. They are all returned overseas passengers in hotel quarantine in Perth. Here's Matt. Live now to our team of reporters. First to Amber Laidler at Barella in Western Sydney. Amber, good morning. More venues are now on alert due to this cluster. Good morning, Matt. Yes, overnight a number of new alerts have been issued for venues across Western Sydney, including the Maryland's RSL, an Indian restaurant and the Oli Webb Cricket Ground at Parramatta, Sydney's Murugran Temple at Mays Hill and the Sydney Marina Dine-In and Takeaway at Pendle Hill. You can find the full list and all of those details on the Sunrise website. But authorities are now concerned about a new case set to be announced in today's numbers that visited a number of locations across regional New South Wales while unknown 
knowingly infectious. This 18-year-old man came here to the BWS at Barala on Christmas Eve before going on a camping trip with friends to Orange, Ningen and Broken Hill. Testing sites have now been set up in all of those locations. The state government is urging all close and casual contacts to come forward and be tested. But it appears local councils are quite confident the virus will not be spread through their communities. The social distancing, the sanitising of your hands, the mask here at Orange City Council, I don't know if you can see it, all of our staff, we have our, we have our own masks, uh, a number of staff uh, work from home. Uh, and I think if people listen to the health authorities and don't become accidental about it, uh, we'll, we'll get through this, I have no doubt, in the wide, wide world. Regional cricket fans are also being urged to reconsider any plans to come to the Sydney Cricket Ground tomorrow for the third test. Authorities concerned that is another way the virus could find its way into the bush, while fans from COVID-affected Sydney suburbs, including here at Barella, Auburn, Lidcombe North, Potts Hill and Regents Park, have been banned altogether. They face a $1,000 fine if they even try to enter the stadium, guys. Nathan Templeton is at Melbourne Airport. Nathan, Victoria is urging other states to follow its lead in testing international flight crew. Yeah, that's right, Nat, and the need for that was really underlined when a Qatar Airways flight out of Tullamarine was cancelled yesterday because a crew member had tested positive during their layover. That person's now isolated here in Melbourne while the rest of the crew flew an empty plane back to Doha. But that's now eight international flight crew members that have tested positive while in quarantine uh, here in Melbourne. Uh, and Victoria's quarantine minister, Lisa Neville, says this is exactly why the rest of Australia needs to be monitoring these international crews more closely. This is such a high risk for all of us, for the country. Everyone needs to follow the lead around quarantining and testing of flight crew. It is absolutely critical given the numbers that we are seeing. Meantime, the Australian Open has hit another snag just nine days before tennis stars were due to start flying into Melbourne. One of the designated hub hotels has terminated its contract with the state government. That's because the residents who live permanently in the Western Hotel, many of them elderly, didn't want to share the facility uh, with all the players uh, and their entourage. So the Tennis Australia has had to scramble and get another hub hotel, making four that will house the players uh, before and during the tournament and there's been a further setback for struggling CBD traders in Melbourne. The plan uh, to have office workers including public servants return to work in the city might be delayed. The state government has asked health officials to review that plan to have them start trickling back from Monday because of these recent outbreaks. And Tamra Bow is in Brisbane. Tamra, we've seen it roll out in about 30 countries, 13 million people so far. When can Australians expect to see the first COVID vaccine administered? Well, Matt, if all goes to plan, then around 80,000 doses of the Pfizer vaccine will begin arriving weekly into Australia by the end of the month, with Federal Health Minister Greg Hunt telling News Corp that some Aussies could be lining up for the first jab as early as March this year, with it to be prioritised for those who are most at risk, including those in the aged care sector, some of our health workers, uh, as well as border control and people working in hotel quarantine. Uh, but obviously, industry insiders say... It's best not to rush a rollout. It's better to hold off until it's safe to roll it out.
We need to train a large workforce. We need to buy uh, fridges that can store that vaccine at minus 70 degrees. We need to ensure the logistics are right. Uh, we don't want to compromise a safe quality service by rushing on it if we can avoid that. And the pending rollout of that vaccine is obviously music to the ears of the struggling cruise ship industry that was decimated at the height of the pandemic. We're hearing that some of those providers like Carnival are set to make a comeback. Uh, borders permitting, they really do hope to be uh, travelling between uh, Sydney and Brisbane as early as April this year, which would obviously inject around $17 million into Queensland's local economy. But also our testing facilities here in Queensland, will they continue to buckle under the pressure as thousands of people come forward every day to get tested. There are also fears of possibly untraced community transmission occurring further afield in areas like Cairns, Warwick, Stanthorpe and Logan Home where a sewage systems have tested positive to traces of the virus. Guys, anyone who is in that region that is showing any signs or symptoms of the virus should now come forward and get tested. OK, thank you, team. Well, here's Mom with some more news. Thanks, Matt. One in 50 people across England is currently infected with COVID-19. Prime Minister Boris Johnson announced the staggering statistic after another 60,000 cases overnight. Everybody, you all, want to be sure that we in government are now using every second of this lockdown to put that invisible shield around the elderly and the vulnerable in the form of vaccination. Mr Johnson also confirmed 1.3 million people have now been vaccinated across the UK as England begins its third lockdown. Well, New South Wales health authorities fear COVID-19 may have spread to regional areas after a man from Barella visited the towns of Broken Hill, Orange and Ningen while unknowingly infected. Testing capacity has been increased in those areas and Sydney siders are being urged not to travel until the current outbreak is under control. The state recorded four new cases yesterday and new alerts have been issued for venues in Maryland's Parramatta, Mays Hill and also Pendle Hill. Joining me now to discuss is infectious diseases expert Professor Peter Collignon. Professor, thank you for your time. Look, this has been, I guess, one of our big fears that the virus might spread from, from the city into some of these regional areas. How prepared do you think these regions are for an outbreak and I guess our hospital systems there? Well, I think in general, Australia is reasonably prepared because we've got testing facilities everywhere and our hospital facilities can you know, adequately cope with any numbers that are occurring currently. The important thing is to stop it spreading. So testing is really important of anybody with symptoms, wherever they are, but particularly if they're in an area where there's been people going. But overall, this seems to be under control at the mm. moment. There's three separate clusters in Australia, uh, two in, in Sydney, uh, Avalon and the Spirala one, and the one in Melbourne. But all of them... Um, seem to be under control in that there's not a lot of mystery cases, there's not a lot of spread to people that are disconnected, etc. So hopefully that will continue. The Avalon one seems to be petering out, which is what you'd expect after its peak at about the 10th of December or mm. when it started. The other two clusters started about 10 days later, so we could expect maybe cases to still appear for another seven days or so, but low numbers. Yeah, look, that's the thing here, isn't it? Because we saw some in the New South Wales cluster, you know, dating 
dating back to December 20-odd. Um, we're only seeing four new cases yesterday. Um, do we have this under control or perhaps are we not testing enough people? I think the number is sitting around 26,000. We want to get that up to about 30 or 40,000 people. Well, I think we could do with more testing, particularly around the Borella cluster, which is the latest one. Uh, the Northern Beaches one does look like it's at low numbers, but still anybody there we need to test um, that's got any symptoms. But particularly in that area of southwest Sydney, if anybody has any symptoms, they need to be tested. But it's the same for the whole of the state, um, because people could have travelled to other areas. While it's unlikely that it will be spread, because you might remember when they had so many cases in Sydney, there wasn't spread to regional New South Wales. But we don't know the total number of cases, and people have moved around. And we've had people from Victoria go up to Bermagui, for instance, so there's another possibility. So if you have any symptoms, get tested, because that's the only way we'll really know that what you've got, if you've got a sniffle or a sore throat, isn't due to COVID and then won't spread to other people. Yeah, good advice. Hopefully we've got it under control. Professor, thank you for your time this morning. Here's Nat. Well, one of the regional towns on high alert for COVID is Orange in Western New South Wales after an 18-year-old who has since tested positive to COVID visited a local cafe. For more, I'm joined by Orange Mayor Reg Kidd. Morning to you. What is the situation there at the moment? Are the locals nervous? Uh, morning, Nat. No, uh, look, uh, we've been right into testing for uh, COVID since uh, March last year. And uh, look, we had a case uh, late last year uh, of a health worker that came to Orange and uh, we're on alert then and uh, we got right into our testing. We've got three places where you can get tested in Orange, a drive-through, uh, the hospital and a pathology group here in Orange. So, uh, no, we've been very, very involved uh, with our uh, the Western Area Local Health District uh, we meet with them regularly, we're uh, on the phone with them regularly and we put the information out to our community. So, no, as a community, we're very resilient. It's hard though, isn't it, Reg? Um, the 18-year-old visited the Birdie Noshery, Sim and Lee own that. Um, they say they've been in tears, they've had to get all their staff tested, they own another restaurant in Orange. The, the human impact of this, you know, we put these places on the screen, but the human impact of that, it must be really tough. Oh, look, look, it certainly is. Look, uh, I, I had this year, uh, well, last year, you know, my mother was in a nursing home and unfortunately she's passed away now and I couldn't get in to see her for several months. And, I mean, that's just a, a little aside there. And the nursing homes in Orange are locked down again. Uh, the young couple uh, that owned that uh, restaurant or a couple of restaurants in Orange, a fantastic business and they employ a lot of people. Well, they're in sort of lockdown now and going through the tests. And I, I had a test uh, in December last year. And you'd have a few sleepless nights waiting for the results to come back, irrespective if you think you feel OK. You're still nervous waiting for the results to come back. Yeah, look, I'm, I'm sorry about your loss. And this is what's happening in, in places around Australia, isn't it? This is the human side of this awful thing. What sort of things are being done to prevent or, or control this outbreak? Um, should residents from Greater Sydney stay away from Orange? Oh, look, I think the most important thing is uh, what the Professor actually said there earlier is, look, listen to the uh, New South Wales Health. We're, we've got one of the best systems in the world for uh, tracing and so forth at the moment. And, you know, the social distancing, the sanitising of your hands, the mask here at Orange City Council, I don't know if you can see it. <laughs> yep. All of can. our staff, we have our, uh, we have our own masks. Uh, a number of staff uh, work from home. Uh, and I think if people listen to the health authorities and don't become 
lackadaisical about it. We'll, we'll get through this, I have no doubt, in the wide, wide world. But the most important thing is to listen to the health authorities and do what they say to do. Yep, that is the best message we've heard today. Reg, good luck out there. Good luck to uh, Sim and Lee with the, the restaurants. And um, thanks for joining us this morning. An absolute pleasure. Thanks, Nat. Thank you. Here's Matt. Well, Australia's vaccine timeline has been revealed with the first jab set to be administered in March. That is two weeks ahead of schedule. Health Minister Greg Hunt says the elderly, health, hotel quarantine and border workers will be prioritised with the Pfizer vaccine to be distributed first and the Oxford jab to follow at the end of March. It comes amid pressure for the government to speed up the rollout over fears we might be falling behind. More than 13 million doses have already been administered across 30 countries, including 4.5 million in the United States, more than 4 million in China and almost 1 million in the UK. For more, I'm joined now by Professor Julie Leesk from the National Centre for Immunisation Research and Surveillance. Uh, Professor, good morning to you. Thank you for being with us. Uh, a lot of conjecture over this. So many people calling for the jabs as early as conceivable. Others saying it is important that we wait and get it right. Uh, what is your view here? Is the updated timeline good enough? I think it is right now. You look at the UK, the US and other countries, they really do have a genuine emergency with hundreds of deaths each day. Australia, we do have an outbreak here, but it's a handful of cases. That gives us time to prepare well. This will be a large and complex program and we need to get this right. You're absolutely right. Uh, I guess the, the, the strong argument um, against that is that just how much it's costing, you know, the, the industries in Australia and, and the, the look at whether we could potentially help them by rolling it out earlier. Um, we're already running it about two to three times quicker than the usual speed for, for a vaccine approval. Um, what, what is behind the need to wait, do you think? There's a number of things. So you're essentially weighing the risks and benefits of waiting. So what you gain by uh, waiting until March, which was the originally planned timeline, was that you allow our systems to get prepared. You allow the regulator to do all those important checks and balances for safety and effectiveness that go beyond just what's published in the trial, but very complex dossiers of information about what happened in those trials. And you also allow uh, our systems to get ready. So we need to train a large workforce. We need to buy uh, fridges that can store that vaccine at minus 70 degrees. Mm. We need to ensure the logistics are right. Uh, we don't want to compromise a safe quality service by rushing on it if we can avoid that. And all of those things, I think people often underestimate just how much is involved in planning this unique vaccination program that we have coming in March. There are a lot of hesitant people out there. So we want to make sure that the program that we have in place is going to be one that all Australians can be confident in. You're absolutely right, because if there were problems in the rollout, if there were problems with the vaccine, um, everyone eager to criticise it now would be very eager to criticise the process then. Um, the other big issue is public confidence, Professor, in this vaccine and people who you know, might not be prepared to get it. We've got about 80% of Australians who said uh, they would get the vaccine. Is that enough? 
Look, it's a really good start. You know, we're, we're quite a confident, vaccine-confident nation, Australia, and we're right up there with other countries in our levels of intention to have that COVID vaccine. We've got about 13% of people who are, have a few doubts about having the vaccine and about 9% who say they won't. Now, those things always change. But in a sense, we have a lot of people who are really keen to have that vaccine. As you can see, in a way, this demand to bring the program on early is kind of a quality problem because we know that means that there's a lot of people who really want that vaccine. And of course, we uh, who work in vaccination want really high uptake um, so that people are protected. Julie, we talked about the, negative, uh, the negatives a, a lot of the time, but let's focus on one incredible thing, and that is uh, the very real hope that by October this year, we could have all Australians vaccinated. Do you think that is, that is realistic? Look, I'd love to see that happen. Of course, that, um, it's a bit difficult to understand where that figure comes from because mm. we... Uh, this stage won't be able to vaccinate children because the vaccine won't be licensed for them yet. It hasn't been tested in them yet. So if we look at all the other age groups, I think that's a fantastic goal to have. Whether we can achieve it or not, I think it's probably quite ambitious um, given all the logistical issues, given that there will be some acceptance issues. Uh, but I think we'll have um, quite high demand for the vaccine in those initial periods and months and we'll have people lining up for it. Yeah, look, even if it's our most vulnerable that are vaccinated by that stage, we, we'd certainly take that as a win. Professor, thank you for helping uh, explain it to us this morning. You're welcome, Matt. Tired of ads barging into your favourite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Well, moving on, an overseas trip may be closer than you might have thought. Qantas has started taking bookings for international flights to the UK and the US for as soon as July. So what's the catch? Well, while you can buy tickets, it still doesn't guarantee that you can actually fly. For those who've been feeling grounded, it's the news they've been waiting for. Qantas is officially taking bookings for flights to the US and the UK, taking off in a matter of months. Australians are generally quite resilient travellers, so uh, definitely um, excited to, to hit the road and perhaps get off the island. Don't pack your bags too soon, though. While Qantas might be able to schedule flights, decisions about when international travel restarts remain with the federal government. But once we do earn back our wings, what will travel look like? People are definitely ready to do whatever it takes um, to travel again, but I think there's still a few hurdles to get through. New technology is set to change the way we fly. Imagine walking all the way to the gate without touching a surface or standing near another human being. There could be full body disinfectant booths and UV robotic cleaners on call to wipe away any worries. Strap yourself in for a brave new world of travel. Well, for more, we're joined now by the CEO of Skytrans and former Qantas executive Alan Milne. Alan, uh, good morning to you. Look, I, this is interesting. I admire the optimism uh, of Qantas here, um, but I can't help but feel they might have just plucked a date 
uh, out of the air. Do you think there's an actual chance that we could be travelling um, by mid-year? I mean, it'll only be a month or two after the first vaccines are, are started to, to roll out. Yeah, good morning, Matt. Look, I think, you know, Qantas is being optimistic, but, you know, they do need to draw a line in the sand. If, you know, if they just let it go forever, then who knows when this will actually start. So I, I applaud them. I think it's a great move, even if it means it starts the conversation and the discussion about, you know, when we can actually start travelling again. Uh, as far as travelling again, how... I just hear so many people saying, oh, but I would be fearful of getting on a plane again. How safe is air travel going to be? And how hard is it going to be for companies like Qantas to get people on planes? Yeah, look, it is going to be a different experience. There's no doubt about that. And that's for all airlines. Um, I think what the travelling public needs to know is that it's actually quite safe to be on the aeroplane. You're probably more at risk on the train or the bus going out to the airport than on the aeroplane itself. The air conditioning system's fitted with filters that are hospital grade. They're actually better than the ones used in operating theatres. Mm. And the air in the cabin is replaced around 20 to 30 times an hour. So it, it actually makes it a pretty safe environment. You know, and if you, if you add all the PPE with face masks and gloves, etc., um, into it, then, you know, I think the, the public need to be assured that it's a pretty safe way to go. Yeah, when I came back from um, covering the election, I flew United and they pump that video saying you are safer on here. This HEPA filter system wow. filters the air. You've got hardly any chance of getting COVID on this 20 flight. times an hour. Yeah. That's quite incredible. I didn't yeah. know Correct. That. One, Correct. Of the, one of the things that really interests me, and it's a bit of a question without notice, Alan, but with these vaccinations, how will... Any idea yet in the industry how it might work, how travellers would prove they've been vaccinated and how it would allow people to move, uh, I guess, around the globe? Yes, look, Alan, Alan Joyce um, actually went out quite early say, stating that Qantas passengers would require to be, to be vaccinated. Um, now, the international body, IATA, actually then came back around a little bit further down the track and said, yeah, that's probably going to be the case. Now, we'll, you know, within the airline industry, we'll leave it to IATA to try to work out exactly how that mm. happens, um, whether that needs to be proven when you book the ticket or on the day that you fly. Um, who knows? Because there'll be, you know, there'll be quite some, some quite uh, entertaining ways of getting around that, I'm sure. So we'll, we'll need a good, robust system if that's what we put in place. Mm. Yeah, but it would be good to see uh, our tourism industry going again, wouldn't it? Alan, we thank you for your time this morning. Uh, no problems, Matt. Thank you. Yeah. Well, New South Wales health authorities fear COVID-19 may have spread to regional areas after a man from Barala visited the towns of Broken Hill, Orange and Ningen while unknowingly infected. Testing capacity has been increased in those areas and Sydney siders are being urged not to travel until the current outbreak is under control. The state recorded four new cases yesterday and new alerts have been issued for venues in Marylands, Parramatta, Mays Hill and Pendle Hill. For more, I'm joined by the acting New South Wales Premier John Barillaro. Morning to you. Just four new cases, John, recorded in New South Wales yesterday. Are those numbers positive or aren't enough people getting tested in those areas? Good morning, Nat. Uh, there's there's two, two angles to that. Firstly, the numbers themselves aren't always uh, a measure of success. What the, the measure of success is, what is behind those numbers, and that's where we've been able to contact trace, uh, where they, those individuals may be in home isolation or self-isolation. We've been able to identify where the source is, so that is the key behind numbers. And, look, we're positive with the numbers we're seeing at the moment. 
and, and, and that for us is important. And in relation to the outcome of, of a young man travelling to the regions, you know, people shouldn't be alarmed but should be aware just because someone that has had COVID has travelled, it doesn't necessarily mean that we have an outbreak in the regions. And over the week, can I just say thank you to uh, the citizens of New South Wales, testing numbers each day have increased and a continual increase and uh, I'll give out those official numbers later today. Okay, so that's great. People are listening. Now, Victoria is calling on all states to test international flight crew like they are. Does New South Wales test international flight crew as they come in? Uh, Dr Kerry Chant yesterday addressed those very questions and, uh, you know, firstly, a lot of the airlines have their own regimes and those COVID-safe plans uh, is something that governments are aware of and sign off on. Um, we, we put, the uh, again, crews into quarantine. We have a regime around it. Do we test each and every one? No, uh, that's not the case, but we work with those airlines. And, uh, you know, again, Victoria have every right to call on that. There are different approaches by different states. Uh, what we do as a state, and when we talk about hotel quarantine and what happens with international inbound passengers, is something that we, you know, we, we, we do with a plan that's been strong. And of course, uh, at the end of the day, there are humans at the heart of it. And whenever there's humans involved, errors can occur. And we're always learning. And uh, today, at our emergency committee meeting, we'll be discussing a, a number of other issues that we, we could possibly look at going forward. OK, we know this does change. The WA Premier, Mark McGowan, has slammed um, a proposal, I believe, by you to transfer Australians returning from overseas onto domestic flights to other states. Is that really your proposal? Well, I made that comment in relation to being lectured by other states and, and especially the, the WA Premier. Where, where, you know, they, they seem to tell us, New South Wales, uh, how to do our job. And we've done this well. We're, we are the gold standard when it comes to the approach to COVID. And we're doing the heavy lifting. 112,000 passengers have come through Sydney International Airport. 45% to 50% belong to other states. And uh, so we are doing the heavy lifting. And if we're going to continue to get lectured, which I don't want to be lectured, uh, and I don't want to lecture anybody, then maybe those states need to do the heavy lifting themselves. Now, uh, Premier McGowan would say that they're per capita, they're doing more. But the reality is New South Wales has carried the burden consistently over the whole period of COVID. And my, my yep. Look, John, comment I, was I... to say, hey, guys... Yeah, Hold look, on. and I understand that, and I understand New South Wales has done well, but you're not seriously saying that people should get off an international flight from COVID hotspots and be put onto a domestic flight and fly to other states, are you? No, look, look, my comment was in relation to not being lectured. At the end of the day, New South Wales has consistently... Uh, carried the bird, and we will continue to do so. Other states could actually lift their numbers, accept more international flights directly. Right. WA has the opportunity to do that, so is Queensland and Victoria. Uh, it's more, more that those states do more. Right, so they accept the international flights directly. Okay, John Barillaro, we thank you for your time this Correct. morning.